Please turn your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read the end of the chapter and then um, the beginning of chapter 5. Right, but part of the reason I'm taking a couple weeks to introduce the Ten Commandments is when, when you start talking about the law, it's really easy for us to both be harmed by God's law and to harm others with God's law. Uh, that we can make a train wreck of our own lives as well as, I mean, there is wreckage of young people whose faith has been harmed by the way people have used the law outside of the church um, because it was just misunderstood or misused. So what I want to do is, right, we, last time we looked at the motiv missional motivation to keep the law, that we live out our faith before a watching world, and that's part of God's plan and his purpose. And today we're going to see that the, the paradigm that Deuteronomy and the whole Bible puts in, for, in front of us is grace, therefore obey. Um, grace, therefore obey. And so let's, let's read our passage and we'll meditate on this together. It's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 to 40, and then the beginning of chapter 5. Moses says, this is the word of our God, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, there is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you, and on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. And then here's Moses beginning his second speech here in chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I am speaking in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, 
for you are afraid of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this is God's word. Uh, he has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, your divine power, we're told, has given us everything we need for faith, life, and godliness. And so I pray that we would see that divine power, that we would see your goodness uh, pouring out upon us, that as we see your grace, we would be more ready and more willing to keep your commandments. And for that to happen, Lord, we need your spirit to come and soften our stubborn hearts to show us the gospel of grace yet again and write the law of love on our hearts and our minds so that we would glorify and enjoy you as you have called us to do. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the hard sells when you start talking about the Ten Commandments with our neighbors is they say things like, why in the world should I care about 3,000-year-old rules given to a bunch of wandering refugees in the Middle Eastern desert and then give that authority to tell me what to believe and how then to live, right? Because that's, that's the argument that we're, we're meditating on is that the Ten Commandments represent God's good moral law and therefore are good for everyone in all times, in all places, right? And I know the temptation is to say, well, Jesus changes all that, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount begins by saying, don't you dare think that I've come to do away with the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot, that's the smallest part of the Hebrew writing, right? None of that will pass from the law until all is accomplished. <laughs> that the law of God is more permanent than the heavens and the earth until all is accomplished. And so what that means is Jesus won't let us escape from the weight of God's commands, and we have to figure out how to live out and apply and use God's law without harming ourselves or harming others. And I'm sure you can come up with examples and, and maybe even have experiences of your own of how God's law or things claimed to have been God's law have hurt you or others, right? I mean, I've heard people say things like, I come to church and I just never felt good enough, like I never measured up. Um, they walk into the room and say, oh, Christians are just judgmental, right? Holier than thou. In other words, when they come into the presence of God's good law, that we said this morning, it binds everyone to personal and perfect and perpetual obedience. <laughs> they, they experience it as a crushing hammer. Um, wielded by well-meaning Christians, or wielded by themselves in their own guilt and shame, and they don't know what to do with it. Right? And so to run away with some of that pain, other folks turn around and look at the law and say, well, do the details really matter? <laughs> God's love is what matters most. And so because we have grace, 
therefore relax. Right? And we can, I'm all about Jesus in the New Testament. I don't need some of this Old Testament law stuff. And so they're ruled by compassion often. Um, but uh, the temptation is to do away with some of God's commandments to bring them down from unachievable to something we like, approve of, or can achieve on our own. Right? And so then God's laws become something more like a gentle suggestion from a loving grandfather. And it doesn't really have that transformative, life-changing power that it's designed to do. And so that's why I like the introduction to Deuteronomy is it helps us read and understand and give context to the Ten Commandments and, and what role they play in the life of the believer. And so this morning Moses is going to give us at least three things that we need before we ever attempt to keep God's commandments. Right? Don't, don't leave home without these things. Don't ever try it without, without these three things. And the first one is you cannot keep God's law without the story of God's grace. Right? You, can't keep, you can't keep God's commandments without God's grace first taking the initiative. Right? So that, that's part of what Moses is picking up here in verses 32 to 34. Uh, when he says, have you ever heard of anything like this happening since Adam was created, since the very beginning? Uh, has anyone ever heard of God speak to them out of, the vi- out of a fire and live? Have you ever seen a God go to war against another nation to redeem and rescue that nation? Right? And so Moses is talking here, and he's calling us to say, stop and think about this. Right? Have you ever heard of a God serve you the way your God has served you? Deuteronomy and, and this whole portrait that's being laid out for Israel, it's a covenant. And you know how in the ancient world kings would usually enter into a covenant with another nation? After they smoked the bacon of the other nation, right? After they burned down cities and defeated, killed their soldiers and, and say, now we're in a relationship, obey me. Now what, what Moses is laying out is look at the gracious history of what Yahweh, the Lord your God, has done for you. Therefore, keep my commandments. And so that's, that's the first point. Before God's laws are ever given, Moses, over and over again, in creative ways and almost liturgical ways, repetitive ways, is saying, look, God took you out of slavery in Egypt. It was a gift. Israel had the gospel of grace informing and designed to form their, their obedience. Right? It's right there in the beginning of the commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? They had this good news of God's initiative serving them. Right? God worked for Israel long before he ever commanded them to obey. Or we could say for us as Christians, God was working for you in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, before he ever said, now therefore, here are these good works I planned for you to do. Right. Grace comes first. Right. I mean, think about this. Where was 
Israel when they first heard God speak. It was Mount Sinai, not while they were still slaves. Right? So just imagine, God didn't say to Israel, to these poor, miserable, helpless people, I'll come get you if you clean up your act and stop being a difficult, stubborn pain in the neck that I know you are. Right? Here's what I expect for you to do to earn my rescue. Have no other gods before me, no idols, love life, right? Just run through the whole list. No, the, the testimony of the scriptures is God carried them on eagles' wings out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and then Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 1 says, God carried you through the wilderness the way a father carries a, a small child to this point. Right? Grace comes before law. Right? Every time God tells his people to do something, it's, it's always after he has first done something for them, beginning with Genesis 1. And so that's, that's the biblical motivation for obedience is consider, this is what Moses is saying, spend time looking at both the unique and incomparable experience you have had with the living God. Look at his grace and goodness. Therefore, obey. Right? And unfortunately, it's really easy to miss this. <laughs> right? I mean... Think about your own, th the conversation you have in your own head <laughs> about why you should be good, uh, to do better, to, to suck less, or whatever that conversation may be. Um, think about any conversation you've ever had with a friend about why they should be Christians. Their complaint is often begins with God's law completely cutting it off from the testimony that we want them to believe, that Jesus loves you. Right? So there was a professor at Texas A&M that she gave, I know it's a bad weekend to be an A&M fan because they just got demolished by a, a no-name college football team. But, but this professor, what she did was give it a, an assignment, go read the Sermon on the Mount and just write a response essay. Right? And these, these students in the Bible Belt read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and then turns the flames up on terms of difficulty, or at least he clarifies and says, this is what the law is after. And these poor kids missed out on the whole grace found in the sermon, right? This is what they, here's some of the reactions that they said. Um, they said, where'd it go? There it is. I did not like the Sermon on the Mount. It was hard, and it made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. Or there's another one. The things asked in this sermon is absurd. To look at a woman is adultery. That's the most extreme, stupid, unhuman thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> and then the, there's another, another rant. The stuff churches preach is extremely strict and almost no fun because you have to constantly think about whether it is a sin or not. Right. You know what part of the sermon these, these students missed? The very first word. Blessed. Jesus goes into the description of what the Christian life looks like, but it begins with those words of saying, you are blessed, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Only those who are in are blessed. They're recipients of God's grace. It's, a, it's designed to get their attention for sure, but they missed out on the context. Right? And so if we're, we're Christians. We're, we're in a similar position as Israel. Right? We, we say things like this. God has claimed me for his own through the blood of the Lamb, He's redeemed and rescued me from slavery to death. And because all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, because of the grace that I have received, that's why I want to obey. Right? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I want you to love others as I first loved you. Right? So I guess the question this morning would be, do you really believe that God's grace is the context you need to keep God's commandments? Do you believe it's the right motivation to get people to change? Right. How do you use the law? How do you use God's commandments in your own home, in your own heart? How do you try and change? Do you just tell yourself to do better, try harder, or yeah, I, I blew it that time, but next time I'll do better. <laughs> right. Or even more telling, how do you use God's law on others? Right. Do you feel like you can't hang out with people who don't measure up to God's law? <laughs> right. So this is the battle that, that Deuteronomy is introducing to us by saying, look, you need the grace of God, that's, this is, it's a story. You are, you are connected to the history of what God is doing in the world, and it's a story of grace before he ever tells you to obey. Right. Tertullian, a, a second century pastor, was famous for saying, uh, Jesus was, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, the gospel is crucified between these two errors, either legalism on one side or license on the other, right? In other words, Moses is very clear. You, Israel, you've been blessed. But the good news of that grace often gets killed by these two wrong ways of relating to God's law, right? First one is legalism. And legalism, legalists, right? This is a really easy thing to throw out. It's, a legalist is not somebody who says God has expectations, <laughs> Right? Scripture is full of things to do. Now, legalists live as if God's acceptance and approval is completely dependent on their rule-keeping. And therefore, my acceptance of others is also dependent on their rule-keeping. Right? And of course, the problem with that is it completely changes the message of the whole Bible, the whole gospel, it's a completely different view of salvation because it gets the order backwards. <laughs> right? it's, it's that attitude that says, in order to get God to work for me, I have to work perfectly or at least satisfy my own uh, expectations to get him to work for me. Right? Rather than what the gospel says, which is God, through his Son, Served you first. And it can do great harm to others and to yourself, right? Legalism sets us up to live forever on a seesaw. 
right? Sometimes you're at the top, right? I know kids, you don't remember what a seesaw is because they're not safe, <laughs> right? It's also a good illustration there, right? You're at the top looking down on others, feeling really good about yourself because you've done a great job keeping God's law lately. But what happens? Anybody who's ever ridden on a seesaw with a sibling, it's the one on the bottom, jumps off, and down you go for a crash. Right? Because the next moment you'll find yourself, once you screw up, drowning in despair because I haven't kept God's law and I'm not good enough. And maybe God will just go find a better Christian down the road because I'm, I'm not measuring up. You end up tottering between pride and despair as well as completely missing out on the gospel. Right? The other grace killer here is license, where you ignore verse 40, where it says, therefore you shall keep his statutes. License is this idea, you have the, com the complete freedom because God loves you to not keep all of the commandments. Right? I mean, isn't that tempting? Right? I'm going to do this thing, I know it's wrong, but it's God's job to forgive. God loves everybody the same. He doesn't really care how you live. Right? And often at, at the very center of that view of the law, right? who's at the center? Not, God, not the lawgiver. It ends up being me. And of course, the goal is to, by compassion to take the weight and burden of being perfect off people's shoulders. But it doesn't actually do away with the harm that the law causes because, again, we live in a, a culture that is full of license. You have the freedom to live however you want. Has it gotten rid of judgmentalism, self-righteousness, and pride? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know what happens? Those who say, ah, I'm not, I don't have those same standards, but thank God I'm not like those insufferable legalists over there. God must love me because I'm so gracious. <laughs> At least more gracious than those guys. See, legalism, which is I have to be really, really good to get God to serve me, or a license which says it doesn't really matter, God just loves me anyway, they turn out to be uh, what what Sinclair Ferguson calls non-identical twins from the same womb. <laughs> They're birthed from this lie that says God is not good and we can't trust him to bless us abundantly. Therefore, I have to do this on my own. Rather than what Moses is saying and beating into Israel's head repeatedly, look what God did for you first. Look at who you belong to. Look at the character of the one who loves you. And so do you believe that? In my, in my weekly email this week, it's fascinating. In verses 32 through 40, 84% of the words are all about the grace of God and only 16% of them are then saying, here's what you must do. It's like Moses knows the human heart. <laughs> we have to be persuaded that God really is for us before we start to go to work for him by faith. Right. So part of this, my goal of this series then is to help change the way you hear the word law 
in the Old Testament. Because the word law, in, as you're seeing here in Deuteronomy, includes grace. It includes God's promises. It includes the story of what he's done to serve Israel. The word law in Hebrew is the word Torah or instruction, right? The kind of instruction a father gives a beloved child. And as you've seen and we just heard, the Torah is full of instructing Israel and us. God served you first. God's grace Therefore, obey. I think that's why the psalmist can say, I love God's law, because within God's law was provision for sin and failure. Because God redeems, God forgives, God serves. So, that was the long one. I want to be brief on these other two here. Right? Grace comes before law. Knowledge of God also comes before law. In this, in this text, right? Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and that there is no other besides him. That the work of redemption is designed to bring you into a covenant relationship with the living God so that you would know the character and quality of the God who is calling you to obey. Right? Verse 39, know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord, Yahweh, is God in heaven above and the earth beneath, and there is no other. Right. I mean, you've, you've heard it. I'm sure you've heard it this way if you've been around the church any length of time. Christianity is about relationship, not rules. <laughs> it's false dichotomy, but, but it is saying, right, that's what the covenant is, is that you would know the Lord and that he would be your God, he is your God because he saved you. Right? That's the gift. Grace includes forgiveness, but part of the grace is experiencing and knowing the Lord who redeems, the Lord who re rescues. Which means obedience is a way of cultivating and maintaining intimacy with the Lord that you've gotten to know through his grace. Right. You can say things like, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Right. The Lord your God, he is mine and because I am his and because I know what his character is like, I want to please him. That's the motivation. Right. <coughs> You could also add that you get to know the Lord through keeping the commandments. That you actually get to know God by doing what he commands. Right? I'll put it this way. God's commandments, according to Moses, are part of this unique, incomparable experience they had hearing God's voice. That's how they get to know him. You get to hear what he values, what he cares about. Right? So like Deuteronomy 26 will say, here's, here's the normal practice. So you've got a faithful Israelite. You're keeping the commandments to be, to be generous to the poor. You're going to bring your, your tithe to support the priests, the ministry of the Old Testament community. Right? The commandment is be generous. But what the Israelite was called to do, here's, here's what he was supposed to practice. 
go to the priest and tell them of how the Lord heard our cries, saw our affliction, our toil, our oppression, how the Lord brought us out of slavery and brought us into this good land flowing with milk and honey. And so now, as I give, I am bringing the first fruits of everything that you have given me, Lord. And it, it switches from us to personal pronoun, pronoun me. Right? And then they're told, go rejo uh, rejoice in all the good that the Lord, your God, has given to you, to the Levite, to the sojourner. See, what's happening is, as this ordinary Israelite participates in the life of faith and obeys the laws of being generous, he's preaching the gospel to his heart. I'm part of the story. God saved us. He gave us this amazing gift. And because he was generous to me, I now get to be generous like him, the God I know, to the Levite, to the stranger, to the poor in my community. Right? That law-keeping moment is a moment of intimacy with the living God. He's getting to know the Lord through grace <laughs> and obedience. Right? It's really interesting that you can get to know the Lord by keeping his commandments assuming you know and have received that gift of grace. Right. Now, one, one last thing you get before law. Why does God do all this for Israel? Why does God do all this? And in verse 37, 38, it says, because he loved your fathers and chose your, their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt by his own presence, by his great power, right? So if grace precedes the giving of the law, and knowing God comes through that experience and before the giving of the law, here we see it's love also comes before the giving of the law. Right? Love and faithfulness. Here's God saying, I was faithful to my promise to Abraham and th that's why I've set my affection on you. <laughs> and then Deuteronomy 7 amps it up and aims that love, not at Abraham, but at Israel. And you can turn the page over to Deuteronomy 7, where it says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the, the oath he swore to your fathers and rescued you from Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with him, with those who love him. Do you hear what both Moses is saying here and in Deuteronomy 7? Why should you obey? God loves you. And he loved you before you started obeying. Right? I mean, Ed Clowney was really good at talking about this. Do you, do you understand what God is saying to Israel? <laughs> He's de describing an unconditional love. Right? 
This is a covenant love that doesn't depend on you. It's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the covenant promise he made to your forefathers. Right? And so if you say to your spouse, if I said to Bethany, I love you because you're a good cook, or you're the most attractive, or because you're a good mom, right? Anytime you insert the word because, you're introducing a condition. Right? And what happens if she cooks a bad meal? Which I don't know if that's really happened, so. <laughs> right? Or what happens if just in life, right? Something physically scars your spouse's appearance or it becomes physically unable to do and to be the spouse that you dreamed of, right? That becomes conditional love. Right? See, so what the Lord is saying to Israel, I love you, therefore obey. I set my affection on you before you did anything right. I loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah will say, and therefore I have continued pour out my faithfulness upon you. Therefore, obey. Right. Now, we're in the Old Testament, and this will lead us to the gospel here. Right. We have grace, therefore, obey. We have, you've gotten to know the Lord, now that you know his character and, and heard his voice and seen what he's done for you, therefore, obey. And you get to hear the Lord loves you, therefore, obey. Those are some really powerful motivations to obey. The problem was, as Israel was told, lay these things on your heart, their heart was not changed by that grace. I mean, Moses, at the end of his, this sermon in, in Deuteronomy 32, in just telling the story of Israel, they said, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God that gave you birth. And then he goes and lays out all the different ways they broke commandments. Right. You, know, you know what it's like to forget someone that you were in an intimate relationship with? And how painful that would be to have someone you love tell them, I don't remember our history together. I don't remember our first date. I stopped thinking about you. See, the love of God in the Old Covenant, right, there were flashes of brilliance, sure, when Israel got it right. But the moral of the story is all these external commandments, including lay the good news of God's grace on your heart, it didn't change them. They didn't obey. And so when, when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, takes the cup and says this amazing thing, that this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for the remission of sins. You're seeing that same pattern repeat itself. <laughs> here is Jesus, the Lord, Yahweh, in the flesh, saying, here's grace coming your way. Here's the Lord who desires to know you. You're going to know me by this act that I'm about to do for you. But here also is a portrait of the Lord who loved you first. But the best part is that it comes with a new covenant. Right, and Jesus was referring to Jeremiah 31, where it says there's a new covenant coming that's not going to be like the covenant I made with Israel. I'm going to put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall everyone have to teach his neighbor and brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, 
from the least of them to the greatest, because I will forgive them, forgive their iniquity, and remember their sin no more. Here's what Jesus is saying, right? Anything Jesus ever tells you to do begins with the giving of the new covenant and the shedding of his blood for you, which is a gift of grace, so that you would know him and see that he loves you first, right? And the, the cross comes with a gift that Israel didn't have. Israel did not have the law inscribed on their hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have as Christians. Which means, right, loving God, keeping the commandments. And you can just run through all the commandments. Uh, the goal of what the commandments have, that reality is inscribed on our hearts through faith if you're a Christian. That's what the Holy Spirit is up to bit by bit, piece by piece, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of your Savior, right? So you think about this, the, the integrity that the commandments call you to, to be the same person, to not carry the Lord's name in vain, right? That's inscribed in your heart where you now want to do what the Lord commands, because he first loved you. Or the rest, that's what the Sabbath commandment is about, right? You're learning to rest, uh, to love human life, and to protect it and defend it, right? That's, that's what the commandments are inscribing in your heart. Uh, the faithfulness, what the adultery commandment is aiming at, faithfulness in marriage, right? Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Right, the generosity in the Eighth Commandment or the honesty of the Ninth Commandment, contentment in the Tenth Commandment, all these things, according to the promise of the Old Testament, fulfilled and transformed by Jesus, are now being inscri are inscribed in your hearts and the Holy Spirit is at work forming you into that image. Right? But what precedes the giving of these commandments, Christian? The grace of Jesus. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. <laughs> this is the gospel. God has accepted you as if you had always kept every single commandment and never broken any of them in Christ. Now you are being sanctified to grow into that image that he's already declared you to be. It's grace, therefore, obey. I'll end with th these words from Luther, Martin Luther here. It says, when God works in us, our will is being changed and sweetly breathed on by the Spirit of God. And then the will desires and acts, not from compulsion, but we do so willingly, responsibly. It cannot be turned in another way by anything contrary nor compelled or overcome, even by the gates of hell. That's how strong you want to obey as a Christian. And it still goes on to desire and crave after and love that which is good. That's the transformation. Even as before, it desired, craved after, and loved that which was evil. See, the gift of the gospel is not only that God claims you as his own, great cost to himself. But the gift is also now, hey, don't you want to obey the one who loved you like that, who loved you first? Something to think about. Let's pray.
Uh, Father, I pray uh, that the gospel would bear fruit in our hearts and our minds, that you would heal our tendency to be legalists, harping on the law and forgetting your grace, that you would heal our tendency to diminish your law and ignore what you've told us to do, uh, that you would show us Jesus clearly and our hearts melted uh, by your kindness to us. We would, we would seek to live out your commandments, loving you and loving our neighbor. And for that, we need your spirit to inscribe and work out these things in our hearts. And so I pray for Hope Church, Lord, that you would grow the fruit of the spirit in us and that our neighbors would be able to partake of that fruit and say that you are good and that you have been work here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.